to the Wagner Ministries International Podcast. As you listen to this message, our prayer is that you would be motivated and empowered to follow Christ and lead others to Him. Enjoy. God bless you, my friends. This is evangelist Kevin Wagner, founder of Wagner Ministries International, welcoming you to our podcast today. In the previous podcast, you will remember we finished off Acts chapter 12. We took an in-depth look at the life of King Herod, and we learned from his negative example how to handle situations that each of us encounter in our lives every day. We learned of the need to trust God's hand in everything, and the Bible also taught us how to handle pride and anger in our lives God's way. Today, then, we move into Acts 13. And this move brings us to the third and last major portion of the book of Acts. Acts 13 is the start of the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecies that the good news about him would eventually touch every nation on earth. The verses I am about to read are the launching pad of the greatest movement that has ever blessed the earth, world missions. Sharing the good news with all the people of our world is the closest thing to God's heart since he wants everyone to have the chance to repent and believe in Jesus. Let's read Acts 13, verses 1 to 3. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. These three short verses contain many important and interesting facts. Firstly, the church that launched world missions was in Antioch. You remember several podcasts ago, I spoke about the wickedness in Antioch, that it was a large city characterized by ritual prostitution, idol worship, and the like. But in the middle of this sin bin called Antioch, there was an alive and on-fire church that the Lord was going to use powerfully. And in this church, there was a core group of five men whom the Lord had anointed in a special way with the gifts of prophecy and teaching. The first was Barnabas. Now, we already know him. He saw Paul's potential and rescued him from a life of obscurity. Then the Bible says there was a man named Simeon called Niger. This man was likely from Africa, as the name Niger literally means black-skinned. His name Simeon is a derivative of Simon, and if he came from the same part of Africa as the next man mentioned in the list, the country of Cyrene, then there is an exciting possibility that this could be, who do you think, Simeon or Simon, from a part of Africa called Cyrene, Simon of Cyrene. Get the picture? There is a good possibility that this is the same man that the Bible says helped carry Jesus' cross when he collapsed and could go no further. So this church may have had as one of its key members the same man who had perhaps the greatest mixed honor in the history of mankind, helping Jesus, but helping him carry the instrument of his death. You can imagine that the memory of the weight of that burden 
never fully left his strong shoulders. So Barnabas and Simeon were there, and so was a man named Lucius from Cyrene, which is the modern-day country of Libya. He would have been one of the great innovators and risk-takers that the Lord used to start preaching Jesus to non-Jewish people. Let me refresh your memory about that. Remember what the Bible says in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 21. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, Lucius would very likely have been one of those early evangelists, telling anyone in Antioch who would listen about Jesus. It didn't matter to him if they were Jewish or not. He knew the spiritual truth that every person, Jew or non-Jew, needs Jesus. And so he spoke with power and energy and excitement about the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says that as a result of this, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Praise the Lord for people like Lucius of Cyrene. Where would we be without people with zeal and excitement for the Lord like that? Probably where many churches in North America are right now. The next core leader of the church in Antioch was a man named Manaean, who the Bible says had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, you remember from the last podcast that there were four kings named Herod in the New Testament days, all wicked and all from the same family. The Herod that the Bible says this man Manaean was brought up with was Herod the Tetrarch. Now, he was the king who had John the Baptist thrown in jail and killed, and who made fun of Jesus before he was crucified. When the Bible says Manan was brought up with Herod, it could mean one of two things. It could mean he was simply one of Herod's little friends in the royal playground when the kids were growing up. Or it could mean that he was actually a foster brother of Herod's having been adopted and cared for by Herod's family. Either way, Manaean would have spent a lot of time at the palace, hobnobbing with royalty as he was growing up. An aristocrat like Manaean, being one of the key members of the church in Antioch, indicates that that congregation would have had a significant measure of respect and credibility in the wider community, as well as some considerable wealth and means. And then the final man in that anointed group of five is, of course, Saul, who we will soon know as Paul, God's man of the hour back then, and not only the hour, but the decade, even an entire generation. The Bible says that the whole church in Antioch, the whole congregation, was worshiping the Lord together and fasting. Verse 2 says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, it is the implication of this verse that I believe God wants us to focus our attention on for the remainder of this podcast. It is no surprise that the Lord gave the people in that congregation in Antioch a 
clear vision and a specific knowledge of his will for the life of their church. After they had together spent some intentional time worshiping the Lord and fasting. Fasting is one of the spiritual disciplines that recurs over and over again throughout the entire Bible. Fasting involves going without food for a designated period of time, generally longer than just between meals. The Bible says many things about fasting and how important it should be in the life of the believer. I share this with you today then, three good reasons to make fasting a regular part of your spiritual disciplines. The first good reason to fast is that it gives you more time with the Lord in prayer, worship, and simply seeking Him, building your relationship with Him. What was the first thing I ask you that Jesus did after He was baptized before He began doing any great things at all for God? He went on a 40-day fast. He knew that He needed time alone with His Father to build His relationship with Him and get so close to His Father that later on in His ministry, he could, with all honesty, say, I and the Father are one. Think of your own life. How much time you spend preparing your meals, eating, and cleaning up afterward. When you begin to fast, it will simply amaze you how much extra time you have in your day. And that extra time can be put to good use. You can use it to pray, seek God's face, and build your relationship with Jesus. So the first real benefit of fasting, then, is the time it will free up in your life for prayer and growing closer in your relationship with Jesus. The second benefit centers around some verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says these very interesting, important, and relevant words for us today. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Now, I love the way the Living Bible puts those same verses. It makes the meaning so clear. I can do anything I want to if Christ has not said so, has not said no, but some of these things aren't good for me. Even if I'm allowed to do them, I'll refuse to if I think they might get such a grip on me that I can't easily stop when I want to. For instance, take the matter of eating. God has given us an appetite for food and stomachs to digest it. But that doesn't mean we should eat more than we need. Don't think of eating as important, because someday God will do away with both stomachs and food. You know, when I read those last few words, I say, praise the Lord, but God, don't let that day come too soon, because I love my food. I love to eat. Now, it's okay to love to eat, the problem comes in when we start saying, I live to eat. And sadly, that's where many people are at today. And when we reach that point, the Bible says that we as Christians have crossed the line of idolatry and given something else, the control and mastery over our lives that God and only God should have. When Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. He is stating a deep and oh-so-practical spiritual truth. Anything in our lives that we can't control, that we have lost mastery over, is going to have a spiritually damaging effect on our lives. Because the Lord has lost His control and mastery over our lives 
in that area. The potential areas of our lives in this regard are many, and they are often things that we may consider harmless. However, in reality, they are harmful, addicted behavior, addictive behaviors that we don't need in our lives because we can't say no to them anymore. Things like drinking alcohol or coffee, overeating, watching TV, video games, and the list goes on. Most of these things in moderation are okay, but in many people's lives, perhaps yours, they have gotten out of control and they have a difficult, if not impossible time saying no to them. How about gambling in any of its forms or the making or spending of money? We've all seen and many of us have chuckled at the bumper sticker on some certified mail vehicles that says born to shop. But that saying stops being so funny when you or someone you know starts actually living that way and can't really break free. The point in all this is that each of us has some area or potential area in our lives that has gained or easily could gain control or mastery over our lives. It's out of control. And this causes us to become spiritually unbalanced. What is God's remedy? Give that area to Him and let Him be master over it. You know, in my own life, I freely recognize the fact that if I don't discipline myself and consciously give the Lord control over the area of overeating, it could easily gain a spiritual and physically, uh, physical unhealthy control over my life. Fasting has helped me keep God in control over this potential trouble spot in my life. But fasting alone without the power of God in it won't have the same desired positive effect. If we simply imitate the activities of the Spirit in the power of the flesh, it will always give it backfire. We need to fast in the power of the Holy Spirit by consciously giving Him the control He wants in that area of our lives. Friends, consider your own life today. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind those trouble areas or potential trouble areas in your life that are out of control or rapidly getting that way. And as the Holy Spirit brings these things to your mind, consider fasting from them in the broadest sense of the word. That is, going without those objects or activities or attitudes for some time, all the while relying on the Holy Spirit's power to get you through it, and giving Jesus reign over those parts of your life so that he can steer you back in the right direction and give you back the control that you know you really want. And as you do this, you will find this tremendous spiritual blessing in your life. The incredible freedom of being able to do many of the same things God is bringing to your mind right now, but having the freedom to do these things because you want to rather than because you have to or you need to do them. So fasting gives a person more time to spend with God and also helps keep eating or any other behavior, attitude, or object from getting out of control in our lives. The last blessing of fasting that I'll focus on today is that it helps to release the power of God in our lives. Some of you listening are frustrated in your relationship with Jesus because you don't have the courage, the strength, the boldness, and the power in your spiritual lives that you would like. You want more power in your witnessing, 
more power through your prayers, more power to hear the Lord's voice and know his will. Let me recommend fasting as one of God's most significant ways of releasing the Holy Spirit's power in your life. An event in the lives of Jesus and his disciples helps to illustrate this point. Let's read Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. In previous podcasts, I confessed to all of you my ignorance regarding how prayer works. I told you that I couldn't and probably no one this side of heaven could explain fully how prayer works in moving God's hand and releasing his power in our lives. But it does. The word of God and experience both tell us this. And I will tell you the same thing regarding fasting today. I can't fully explain to you why fasting releases a greater measure of God's power and the Holy Spirit's anointing in your life, but it does. It certainly does, not because I say so, but certainly because Jesus our Lord says so. There was a strong demon in that boy in Mark chapter 9, and the disciples couldn't drive it out. Why? Well, Jesus said, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. You know, there are spiritual dynamics that take place in the unseen world when a person fasts. And those dynamics are such that we can hear God's voice more clearly, His specific will for our lives. These dynamics also dictate that we can be used more fruitfully and effectively by the Lord to touch people's lives for Jesus. In our lesson from Acts 13 today, we also see the interesting and important fact that fasting, in combination with worship, gave that congregation in Antioch the ears to hear God's specific will for their lives and the life of their church. 
That's one of the biggest reasons why it's so important to allow, for example, time in our services for praising and worshiping the Lord. As I've said before, the singing of one hymn does not adequately prepare most people, fresh from a busy week of problems and distractions, to hear Jesus speak to them personally and clearly. Like the appetizer that prepares our stomachs to receive the main course, the first part of praise and worship time ought to prepare us to feel Jesus' presence and to hear his voice clearly throughout the rest of the service. This shows the importance of spending time, quality and quantity time, worshiping the Lord as we prepare to receive a touch and a word from him. So for those of us, and it ought to be every one of us, who want more of the Holy Spirit's power released in and through our lives, fasting is one of God's prime means of seeing this happen. I close today with this last word. Obviously, health conditions and changes in your life circumstances may make it impossible for you to fast regularly, if at all. I believe that's one of the main reasons why we can't point to a specific verse in the Bible where God says, you all must fast. The Lord is fair and He knows that it's impossible for some. He will work out spiritual blessing in your lives through other means. But for the vast majority of you who are able to fast, I would strongly encourage you to seek God in this regard and ask if Him if this is a discipline that He's calling you to. The key thing in all this is just that. Is this something the Lord is calling you to? Don't begin to fast because I do or because I say it's a good thing. Do it because you want to hunger after God more than you want to hunger after food. Do it because you want to spend more time getting to know Jesus better and fall more deeply in love with Him. Do it because you want Him to be your master and have control over all of you especially those areas that you may have lost or are losing control over. Begin to fast because you want to hear God's voice and His will for your life more clearly so you can be more useful to the Lord as He releases more of the Holy Spirit's power into your life. These are the right reasons to begin fasting. If you want these things in your life, and I hope that each of you do, then consider what God is calling you to do. And may the blessings of obedience that come through fasting be yours in the future as you hunger more after Jesus than anything else in your life. As always, my friends, I look so forward to our next podcast where we will move further into the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit uses His Word to help us walk daily in the power of God. Have a blessed day in Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by today's message. For more information regarding Wagner Ministries International, go to wagnerministries.org. And if you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at wagnerministries.org. God bless.